The opening words of our parsha is ve'ele hamishpatim, and these are the laws, the civil laws. We know there are three basic laws in the Torah. There are chukim laws that make no sense, that are super rational, like the laws of purity and impurity. We do this because God commanded us to do them. There are laws that are edus, testimonies. In other words, they testify to an event. For example, we eat matzah on Pesach to testify that God took us out of Egypt. We left with haste. We drink wine Friday night making Kiddush, testifying that God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. These are called testimonies. And then you have laws which are mishpatim. Mishpatim are civil law. Don't kill, don't steal. These are laws that theoretically we don't need the Torah to tell us. We can derive it through our logic. And as the Medrash tells us and the Talmud says, we would learn not to steal from ants. We would learn modesty from a cat. These are things that human minds can understand through the worldly condition how they are to live. And yet we are told the Elam Ishpatim, these are the civil laws. We do them not because it's logical, but rather we do them because God commanded us. Let us see inside here the words of Elam Ishpatim, the opening words of the Parsha, and see what Rashi tells us pertaining to this opening verse. The Elam Ishpatim, these are the ordinances, these are the commandments, the mitzvahs. The civil laws, Asher Tasim Lifnehem, that you, Moses, shall place before them. What is this terminology? You shall place them before them. It says Rashi the following. Why does the Torah begin with the words ve'ele and these? You don't start a book and. You don't start a new chapter and. Can you start a sentence with and? That already is changing. You say you could with a capital A. But generally, we don't start a book and ve'ele. Yet, of the 53 parishes of the Torah, 43 start with the vav, and. Ve. Ve'ele ha'mishpatim. So the question is, why here ve'ele ha'mishpatim? Says Rashi, ve'ele when it says and, and means to add to the previous parsha. It's a continuation. And graphically, we know that the vav is like a shoot, connecting the higher and the lower. The meaning of vav, the letter vav, is a hook. It's hooking, connecting the previous and the present. And, and means to hook, to connect the two parshas together. In other words, why are we hooking, connecting the previous parsha and this parsha together? Because the previous parsha is what? Is Yitro, Yisroi, dealing with the Ten Commandments, says Rashi, to tell us. To teach us that just like those laws in the previous parsha were given by God on Sinai, so too these laws, which are civil laws, Logical laws are also given on Sinai. Now, 
the Elam Mishpatim, we just established, is to connect the previous with the present. But why does it say, I shall toss him lufneim, that you shall place these laws before them? Why it sounds redundant or extra or superfluous? And there are three basic answers to this. Number one, the Gemara tells us in the Tractate of Gittin, page 88, side B, it's also Rashi here in the Torah, that even though many of these laws, which are logical, which are civil laws, the nations of the world also follow these laws, yet if two Jews have an argument, one with the other, do not go to the secular courts. You are to go to your courts. I said, Tassim Lifnehem, before your rabbis, before your judges, to judge the law. That's the first meaning of Lifnehem. You shall place it before them, before your local courts, your rabbis, your judges. Number two, I said, Tassim Lifnehem means when you teach a law to your children. When a teacher teaches a law to the students and a rabbi to his community, you don't simply say, this is what you have to do. It says this and you can't ask any questions. That is incorrect. Says the Gemara means you have to give them explanation, reason. Why are we doing this? So they understand all the details of the law and appreciate it. And they love it. That is the meaning you shall place it in front of them that they have it like a shulchan aruch, like a table that's set. You come in to the synagogue in the morning, you come in to the, to the class, you don't have to start making scrambled eggs. The, re- the eggs are made already. You don't have to take a raw cucumber and start slicing it. Sliced already. The apple is cut. Everything is prepared for you. The same idea. Put it down in front of them, that they should understand it and be able to eat it and internalize it and appreciate it. That is the second interpretation. It should be clear to them, explain them the details of the law and not just you have to do. Very important. And that's why the Talmud says, one who is shy cannot learn. You have to ask the questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. You have to ask questions. I heard once that the Rebbe told my grandfather, Rabbi Jacob J. Hech, the blessed memory, why do you ask me so many questions? Just do it already. And he said, I'd rather ask 1,000 stupid questions than make one smart mistake. So we have to ask. And furthermore, just like a student needs to ask questions, A teacher cannot be an angry teacher. A teacher must have patience. And listen to the question. And answer it once and again and again. To put it in front of them till they understand it well. That's the second interpretation. The third interpretation is these are the laws that you shall place in front of them means inside of them. Paneem, the face, means the inside. It has to impact the essence of their soul. That when you learn something, it shouldn't be a theoretical law, but you have to feel it inside of you. It should become one with you. 
that the deepest and highest level of your soul should be affected by this law. So these are the three interpretations of why it says these words, these are the laws that you shall place in front of them. Number one, Jewish courts. Number two, explain the reasons. Number three, internalize it in the deepest chambers of your heart. Now to, to elaborate on the first letter and first word of the parsha, The Eilam Mishpatim, and these are the laws, the ordinances. We said, Rashi tells us, this comes to teach us that just like the previous laws were from Sinai, these laws are also from Sinai. Now, what does that mean? In the Ten Commandments alone, you have five and five. God didn't give Moses one big sapphire stone. He could have put all ten on one stone. Why did he have to give two? One answer is it was heavy. Another answer is that, that the first five commandments are between man and God. The second five commandments are between man and man. Two separate sets of laws, but they come together. In other words, the first commandment reads, I am God your Lord. The sixth commandment says, do not murder. In other words, just like God your Lord is because it's spiritual and holy, that's why do not murder. Not because it's logical, but because I am God your Lord. Even logic must be based and predicated upon a higher reality and something which is super-rational. Because if we allow ourselves simply to base our reasoning on logic, then we can come to become, God forbid, like Germany, who decided, on one hand, they were the most logical, most intellectual, most proper country in the world, and yet they caused mass murder because it made sense to them. We have to realize, you're not allowed to murder because God says, I am God, your Lord. And the same idea applies to our parsha. Just like in the Ten Commandments, the logical laws were predicated on, I am God, your Lord. The same is true, and these civil laws, dealing with torts and damages, etc., etc., are based on the fact that it was given from God and Sinai. And just like the laws of, I am God, your Lord, and keep Shabbos holy, was given with Ashturim, with tremendous passion and thunder and lightning, these laws, do not kill, do not murder, be nice to your neighbors, were also given with that same passion, with that same thunder and lightning. On a deeper level, and these are the laws. Just like the first were given on Sinai, these were also given on Sinai. In other words, the fact that we have the ability to understand certain laws of the Torah is because it was given on Sinai. In other words, in essence, God is infinite, we are finite. How is it possible that a finite human being has the capacity to understand even one word of God who is infinite? It is totally illogical. It makes no sense. It's irrational. There's no way that we can comprehend God. But the answer is 
because God gave these laws on Sinai and he put it within the realm of intellect, therefore we are able to understand it. So much so that it begins to impact not only us, the Jewish people, but from the Jewish people, it continues to impact all the nations of the world. That they too logically begin to understand and realize the importance of following the basic laws of Torah, the seven Noahide laws, and belief in a supreme being, in Almighty God. And this concept is hinted in a verse that we read earlier. But the Torah tells us, in chapter 24, verse number 11. It says like this. It says, V'satzilei b'nei Yisrael l'shalach yodoi v'yechzu esholikim v'yoychlu v'yishtu. It says, and they gazed upon God, and they ate, and they drank. Now, how is it possible that you're gazing on God and you're eating and drinking? So there are those commentaries that say they are liable to death. You're seeing God and you're eating and drinking. That's one answer. On a deeper level, according to Chassidus, they gazed upon God and it became part of their blood. It became part of their psyche. It became part of their nutrition. They were able to internalize it like food. They ate it and they drank it. It wasn't something that was far away from them, in the periphery. But rather, it became part of them as if they were eating and drinking. Furthermore, this concept of logic is something we have to impact ourselves with to rationalize and understand every aspect of Torah, even laws that are chukim, that are statutes that theoretically, at first glance, make no sense, we need to understand if God gave it to us. It makes sense. And to realize and understand the laws and to internalize them. But more than that, we need to pass on this knowledge to the nations of the world. And this is hinted in the previous verse. It says, what did they see? They saw It says that they saw under the feet of God was a likeness of a sapphire brick wood. What is the idea of bricks? Bricks. So a brick in contrast to a stone is that a stone is natural. A stone is made by God. A brick is made by humans. We are the ones that make the bricks. Implying that we need to take the knowledge of the Torah and rework it so that the nations of the world can also comprehend it into the 70 languages and into the seven Noahide laws. And that is also the meaning that they looked upon God, they gazed upon God. The word Vayechazu, we explained, is a targum. Targum means Targum Unculus. It's a translation. It's not Hebrew. It's, it's, it's Aramaic. Implying, implying 
that we need to translate the Torah so that everybody can see God. Sometimes you need to put on glasses to see God, and sometimes you need to take off the glasses to see God. But the point is, everybody has the capacity to see Almighty God. So, Vayechzolikim is by the fact that the Torah becomes translated through the bricks, through the letters, man-made letters, because God gave us the 22 letters of the Torah. That's God-made. Man-made letters are the other alphabets that we created. But yet, Aleph Beis, Alpha Beta, it all came from the Torah, the Aleph Beis, the 22 letters of Lashon HaKodesh. And furthermore, the prophet Sophania tells us that in the end of time, all the nations of the world are going to come to change their language. One language, the language of Lashon HaKodesh, the Holy Tongue. But till that time, we need to translate the Torah into simple terms that our, our students understand, our children understand, and the nations of the world also comprehend these logical laws of Torah and to understand that even the logical laws come from Sinai, come from God himself. There's an interesting verse in the parsha, Verse number 22, chapter 22, Verse number 8. It says over here that I'll call Devar Pesha. I'll share, I'll hammer, I'll say, I'll salma, I'll call Aveda. It says that for every item of liability, whether an ox, then it goes on to a garment, and then it goes on to a lost object. These three statements, says the Zoyar, allude to the three famous Gomorrahs, the three famous Talmuds that are taught in the yeshiva world that deal with these laws of torch that are logical. They are called the three Babas, but doesn't mean the three grandmothers. <coughs> It's called the three Babas, Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, and Baba Basra. The gate, the first gate, the middle gate, and the last gate. These three gates, these three Babas, are based, says Isaiah, on this, on this verse. The first Baba, the first gate, deals with Alshar, deals with the axe. It deals with damages and torts. These are all the laws that the civil court deals with here in America. But in reality, it all started from the Talmud. All jurisprudence comes from the Talmud. So this, therefore, the Gemara first starts with towards damages. Then it goes on to say, al-salma. Salma is a garment. There are two people who find a garment in the street and they argue. The first person says... Kula Shali, it's mine. The whole thing belongs to me. And the other one says, Kula Shali, the whole thing's mine. And they come to the court and they give their ta'anot, they give their arguments. Mm-hmm. Then you have the third Talmud, Baba Basra. And that deals with Akal Aveda, which is really, according to Kabbalah, partnerships. Kal is masculine, Aveda is feminine. And these are the two partners, two natural partners. So they come, and this deals with land ownership, 
creating healthy boundaries and borders. And as the Gemara says, Shutfin Shiratsu, two partners who want to make a partnership, which, by the way, we derive from this a very powerful concept in business ethics, that when you buy and sell, both people should gain from it. It's not like, oh, I outsmarted him. That is not Jewish business. Kosher business is both sides win. It's a win-win situation. If one side loses and the other side wins, that's not kosher business. So this is the third Talmud, Shutfin Shuratsu. Now these three Talmuds deal with logic. But you first deal with torts, then you deal with arguments, and then you feel, deal with partnerships. Because when you come to court, when there's a problem in the world, the first thing the judge has to do is remove all the danger. Mortal danger, spiritual danger, that's the first thing a parent, a judge, a rabbi, a community leader, a mayor, a president has to deal with. There should be no danger to make sure the streets are safe, no anti-Semitism. The second thing is now you remove the danger. Okay, now we can hear your arguments. Now we can hear the disputes, domestic disputes. It's mine, it's yours. Okay. The third level is partnerships. It's your property, this is your property, this is your house, this is your field, etc., etc. These three bubbles are really the three levels in exile. The first part of the Jewish exile is primarily Baba Kama. It deals with torts, damages, slavery, suffering, Germany, Holocaust. That's the first Baba. The second Baba, the second level of exile, deals with arguments. The land of Israel belongs to me. It belongs to me. Primarily, it's in the courts. It's arguments. The third level, the third Baba, the third part of exile, right before the coming of Mashiach, is Baba Basra. And that deals with creating partnerships, peace accords, alliances, treaties, to make healthy borders, that everybody has a place to live, and each person is safe and sound, and respects one the other. And it's a win-win situation, because each country helps the other with natural resources. We're now in the third stage. We're ready to, to have the ultimate redemption. And that is why in this third Gemara, it also talks about the famous Su'uda, the famous meal. When Mashiach will come, it says all the tzaddikim, all the righteous people, which all of us are righteous, will be sitting at this meal. We're going to have delicious fish, herring, called Leviasan, the Leviasan fish, a giant fish. And then we're going to have a big piece of steak, from the Sharabar. So these are, are and, and then don't forget about the wine. The wine that was hidden from the beginning of creation, that is aged wine. And this is going to be the big meal that we're all going to participate. The Gomorrah and Baba Basra talks about that story. <clears throat> so, so this is the, the message of the Parsha. The message of the Parsha is that even logic needs to be predicated on God. And God needs to come down to logic. We need to understand that the Torah God gave us 
is not simply archaic or irrational or dogmatic, but the Torah that God gave us and the 613 commandments that God teaches us is because of his love for us. It's like a parent who sends the child to the best school. It's a parent who wants to make sure the child is wearing nice, clean clothing. If it's dirty, take it off. A parent who says, eat healthy, not because the parent wants to punish you, but rather it's out of love. It's out of, out of support. It's in order to make us more beautiful and, and more fulfilled in our life and to be more productive. So this is the Elam Mishpatim, to realize the beauty, the logic in Yiddishkeit, in holiness, in Torah, in mitzvahs, that this is really God's love to his people and God's love to all the nations of the world. I want to end with, with the following story. There's a rabbi by the name of Yechiel Levitansky. He's a shliach in Ukraine, in Suma, Ukraine. Sumi, Ukraine. Yechiel Levitansky was raised in the state of California. His father was a shliach there. And when he became a bacher, a teenager, he was sent to Ukraine on Shlichus to help the, the local rabbis there. He was there for two years. And he really was inspired because in Ukraine you had people who, who were not raised with Yiddishkeit, were not allowed to be taught the olive base. And now, all of a sudden, they are, they are thirsty for Judaism. They're allowed to learn and they're coming by leaps and bounds. And, they're, and they're, they want to know and they're, they're sincere and, and he sees this tremendous earnestness and, 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 and desire. And he loved it. For two years he was teaching and learning, etc., etc. He then moved back to California. He gets married. And he starts getting phone calls from the, the rabbis there. We need another shliach here. We need another rabbi. We have a, a small town called Sumi. We need you to go there and become the rabbi there. He knew already Russian and Ukrainian. And uh, he was debating, should I go back or not? He already had a wife and, 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 and three kids. He decided he was going to write a letter to, to the Rebbe's letters. It was after the passing of the Rebbe already. So he writes to the Rebbe, you know, I'm here in California. I have yeshivas, I have kosher food. I don't, should I go to a, these are the words he wrote, a pina hanidachas, a far-flung city in the corner of the universe. It's called pina hanidachas. Should I leave, you know, a, a normal place and go to a pina hanidachas? And he puts the, the, the letter into the Rebbe's writings, into the English, and he opens up. And the Rebbe writes over there that the time has come, that the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov will impact even the Pina Hanidachas. He says, okay, I got my answer. I guess I got to go. So he picks himself up and he goes. And when he comes there, his wife and his children went to the local shliach, from the town over, and he was now going to Sumi looking for an apartment, and he couldn't find it. He was there for two weeks. Every night he sleeps in a hotel, and every day he's going from apartment to apartment. Each one apartment is missing a toilet, the next apartment is missing, missing a shower, the other one has no electricity, the other one is no, the refrigerator doesn't work. He can't get a normal apartment for two weeks. And he's almost giving up. And it's already late at night after checking out all these apartments. He's walking, he comes into the town square, and there's nobody there, it's like deserted. And a man is walking towards him. He's getting all nervous. In Ukraine, a big Ukrainian is walking towards him, alone, in the town square. He figures, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preempt the discussion. 
Good evening, sir, he says in Russian. How are you? And, and the Ukrainian responds, Are you Chabad Lubavitch? He says, yeah, I'm also Chabad Lubavitch. He says, you mean you're Jewish? He says, no, I'm not Jewish. So how are you Chabad Lubavitch? He says, I work for the Lubavitch Rebbe. He says, you work for the Lubavitch Rebbe? So he says, I figured, you know, every rabbi is the Rebbe, and every, every rabbi is Lubavitch. So I work for the Lubavitch Rebbe, the local rabbi. Which Lubavitch Rebbe? He started quoting different rabbis in Ukraine. No, no, no. Rabbi Schneerson in America. He says, you work for the Rebbe? Yeah, I was in the oil. He says, I came to America, and I was the janitor in the cemetery by the Rebbe. I was there for three years. So I work for the Lubavitch Rebbe. <laughs> so now he says to himself, Levantansky says, wow, I came here. First of all, I got a letter from the Rebbe to come to a Pinani Dachas. Now I couldn't find the apartment, and all of a sudden this guy approaches me, I'm Chabad Lubavitch, reminding me the Rebbe is keeping an eye on me over here. He's watching out for me. He says, the next day I found an apartment. He says, now I have an apartment, but now I need kosher milk. What do you do? There's no kosher milk in Sumi. And, and, you know, you have to have chavisol, kosher milk. means the Jew has to watch the actual milk of the cows. Now listen to this. I go to one, there's a lot of farms over there in Sumi. I go to the first farm, he says. He says, can I watch the milk to have kosher milk? No, 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 you can't watch the milk. Second farm, can, you, can I watch the milk? No, 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 you can't watch the milk. He finds out that there's a, a, a myth that if someone else watches you milk the cow, the cow is going to die. So no one wants to allow him to watch the milk. He needs now kosher milk for his kids. He doesn't give up. He goes to another farm. Another farm. Finally, an old couple says, okay, you, you could watch. He says, why? What can I watch? Everyone said, I can't watch. He goes, oh, there was a Jew here who lived many, many years ago. He used to also come watch. And my, car, my cow never died, so you could, watch, you could watch the milk. So he says, I watch the milk. I come every week, I'm watching the milk. And, and, the, and the cow gets pregnant and gives birth to twins. So they thank me. It was the rabbi's bracha, the rabbi's blessing. His cow got pregnant and he got twins. And, and this farmer tells all the other farmers that this rabbi gave me a blessing and had, my cow had twins. And because I could sell one cow, I have money for half a year. So like, they're rich now. They have one cow, they're rich. So now all the farms opened up and they let Rabbi Levitansky to go and milk the cows for his children. So these are the stories of, of Rabbi Levitansky in Sumi, Ukraine. Why do I tell you the story? What's the connection between a milk of a cow and the Eilah HaMishpatim? But the answer is very simple. The Eilah HaMishpatim. And these are the laws. Just like the first laws were given at Sinai, so too these laws are at Sinai. In other words, you have to bring Sinai not only to Israel, Sinai not only to America, but you got to bring Sinai to Sumi, Ukraine. You have to connect the whole world with Sinai. Wherever a Jew goes, wherever we go, we are ambassadors from God. We have to remember we have that vav, that connection. The pintle yid is a yud, but the yud has to be stretched to a vav. You see? You got to stretch that yud to a vav and connect everything you do back to Sinai. I hope and pray that even though the giving of the Torah was only once on Sinai, but when Mashiach will come, we will have the revelations of Sinai once again with the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days.